<laughs> I think I have the black lung. Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype of the health and fitness industry. Every week, we dig into a new topic and help you wade through the real information to make solid decisions on your fitness journey. Three, two, one. And we're back. On today's episode, we are talking about how to hit your fitness goals, specifically behavior change. Indeed. And you mentioned that this is going to be a four, two-part series. It will run for two parts. Part one of two. Cue the intro. So behavior change. This is one of those things where when you look at graphs, I recently was looking at some graphs um, on the mounting health crisis. Um, obesity rates have doubled in more than 70 countries, seven zero, seven D countries in the last decade. Um, it's, it's getting really, really crazy with the amount of access that we have to food and the way that our food supply has been changing. But that coupled with the idea of the way that our lifestyles have been changing, um, there's a lot of stuff coming up and there's a lot of need for intervention in a, in a positive way where we can say, okay, how do we, how do we exist within these parameters and still maintain my best self? Let's say that. Mm-hmm. So looking into this stuff, it, at, at the end of the day, I think that a lot of it boils down to behavior change. And behavior change is a tough thing. Very tough, yes. So today we're going to talk about two different parts. Um, the first part that we're going to talk about is self-efficacy. We'll dig into that a little bit. And then uh, the second part that we'll talk about is um, positive outcome expectations. And what's the goal of um, this conversation that's a great question, Eric. <laughs> Sorry to just throw you Do you want you me to pour right the pine back the at you? Be like, well, what do you think? You could. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, I don't know. This was your, this was your baby. <laughs> so the goal of this is to just give a little bit more voice to challenges that we have to overcome. When we talk about breaking through the hype, what is the hype in the fitness industry on the topic of behavior change? Oh, just, you know, toughen up and get it done. Like, make the right choices. It's like, man, this is... That's such a low level of truth, is it not? Like, also, what do you see? I also think the hype of the fitness industry is like, oh, it's super easy to do this. You just have to do this. Like, I've seen guys who, whether they're on the sauce or not, guys with phenomenal physiques, like, you know, like just amazing bodybuilding type physiques. They're just loaded, packed full of muscle. And they'll sit there and be like, do you want to look like this? Well, try this workout. And they'll do like close grip push-ups, medium grip push-ups, and wide grip push-ups, and then give you a thumbs up and be like, okay, now get after it. And I just don't think that hitting uh, three variations of push-ups is going to grow like entirely full pecs and give you that crazy bodybuilder physique. Or take this supplement and it's going to shred you. Like, fact of the matter that I've been saying to people for a long time is if it was if it was super easy to just take a supplement or do a basic workout that you saw on Instagram or that you pulled off the internet, everyone would be jacked and have these amazing physiques that everyone wanted and dreamed of if it was that easy. Yeah, well, and then you talk about what everybody wants. That is a very nuanced thing itself. This is what we talked about a while ago about reductionism, right? Um, when we talk about like the pedantic side versus the reductive side, um, we end up getting to this situation where it's like, well, is it bad that somebody's trying to motivate some people to do push-ups? No, I'm good with that. Do that, man. Yeah. Um, but I think on the other end of it, it's really hard to present the amount of 
care and empathy that people need when they're trying to change their whole damn life by just saying, you know what, toughen up, just get it done. Like that, that to me just takes away some very human factors that we have to deal with when asking somebody to literally rearrange their life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this topic came from the idea that you go into a variety of spaces and there's going to be all these people shouting about how you need to exercise, how you need to eat and, and creating all of these methods that are, are the proven method that, that works every time. And the one thing that they're not talking about is even if you have the right plan, how are you going to actually build the behaviors, routines, and strategies and consistently execute on them? And to that point, for me, it's always been something about the, the industry that's always been a challenge or a struggle for me. And I think you can attest to it, too, is like I've been doing this 12 years, you even longer, like almost plus of 15. I've seen people get phenomenal transformations for six months to a year, and then they fall apart for the next three to four so for me, like these behavior changes that we're going to discuss are hopefully leading towards more like long-term lifestyle, consistent results that are sustainable, like you said. Well, yeah, and we can talk about transformation too on another episode. But um, for me, the win that I'm looking for when I, when I help my clients out, I don't just want to see them thrive when they're with me. I want them to be able to look at things objectively and do really well, even if they aren't with me. Mm-hmm. And of course. that really ends up being a scenario that they have to be educated. They have to have really good behaviors and routines and habits. And if they have all of that, then they have the tools to continue. So it's not, that's why I don't market my services as here, do this 12 week program and it'll change your life for good. Because I think that that's a very, very challenging position to take to say it's just 12 weeks and then everything's fixed. Yeah. So, so behavioral change, self-efficacy is the first piece to the pie. What yeah. are we talking about? So self-efficacy, the, the concept here is somebody believing that they're actually going to deliver on what they said they're going to do. So self-efficacy is like, I believe that I can do this and I, I believe I have the tools to do it as well. So there's those two parts. I actually believe that I have the tools to and that I will go and use those tools. Yeah. So when somebody starts experiencing self-efficacy, this is when they said they were going to work out three times a week. They've been doing it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, listen, I work out three times a week. That's my schedule. Don't mess with me. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, but there's, there's four main things that we're going to talk about there. Um, the big thing when we talk about self-efficacy is that improving somebody's confidence isn't just about they look in the mirror and see something. Improving somebody's confidence it involves the confidence that if they commit to something that they can and will do it. Mm-hmm. And those two parts, can and will, are, are really the, the pieces of the puzzle here. So I think it's really a struggle for people too when I think about this. I think about like how this mindset can definitely be wavering from day to day and week to week depending on circumstance as well. Well, that's, I think that's the real important thing to kind of touch on before we get too deep into this is that Motivation is variable. Fleeting. Yeah, fleeting is fair, yeah. But motivation is variable. I did a a live on this right after I started working for myself. And the thing that I was talking about is that motivation is beaten by habits, routines, and behaviors every darn day. Because even the days that I don't feel like working out, I've created the right behaviors, habits, strategies to actually do it. 
So even if I don't feel super motivated, that isn't the hard stop. I have decided I'm going to do something and I have the self-efficacy and, and belief that I will do it either way. Mm-hmm. So that is the whole game here that we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the first things that we can talk about as a strategy is setting really specific tasks. So like breaking down bigger goals into smaller uh, process type goals. Yeah. Where instead of like, well, I need to do a workout today. It's like, true, fair. I need to get to a specific space. I need to have all the logistics taken care of. I need to, I need to have that. So when we talk about specific tasks, it's like, okay, so the beginning of the week, I need to put my workouts in the calendar and make sure they fit. Mm -hmm. And that, that strikes me as something that's really important. Yeah. Um, making sure that there's a program that you can do. Like if, if you don't have a trainer, you're going to have to plan out what the heck you're going to do. You don't want to just get there and feel lost because it's going to be hard to engage. Um, but setting specific tasks, like in detail, what needs done, um, that will really help with execution as well. Um, the simple act of booking in your workouts is a big step. Um, outside of that, having all of the logistics straightened out, like, your gym clothes and what you're going to be doing and all that sort of stuff. Those are things that could be a hangup. Mm-hmm. So when you want to be successful, you need to make sure that those are done. Yeah. I think for me with this, with this point of like setting these targets, I think it's a struggle for people to sit down by themselves and kind of create that plan or that vision, which is obviously why we've had jobs for a long time. But I think if you're going to try to attempt to do it yourself, I think part of it is if you haven't done it already and you're listening to this, potentially you're thinking of like, oh man, I'm already tired and beat up from my day. For me, this kind of like motivation or like reaping the results from this, it's kind of like a snowball effect, but it's like you have to give a little first, even if you don't got much to give, like you have to give a little bit and that little bit could be the focus to actually sit down and figure out that plan and write down what you want and try to break it down and be specific about it. That's you sacrificing and giving some time and some brain power but it's going to be like a compounding investment in the long run. It's actually going to help. It's going to pay off in the long run. So you have to identify that you're going to sacrifice a little bit, even though you're already tired, but the objective is to pull more benefits from it down the long run. Totally. And and on that front, like we can just give a few things to, to help. So like when you think of all the, what is it? The five W's who, who, what, what, where, where, why, when, and how, um, what we know who, so we don't need that one. Me. But what, where, why, and how, those are, those are big deals. So even if you just sat down and wrote those things down and you're like, okay, I need specifics. What do, what do I actually need? Okay, well, I need transportation. Is that locked in? Like maybe we're sharing a car. When me and my wife were sharing a car for a few months, like we had to plan out really good, right? Um, so transportation, clothing, programming, those are kind of like your basics. And then the last one would be kind of food. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you have those four things locked in, um, that's, that's going to work out really well. And then, um, book it into your schedule as, as a fifth measure. And it'll be like, yeah, well, okay. So I know what day I'm going to work out and I've dis- defined what I'm actually going to do. I know where I'm going to go work out. Like, obviously I'm going to be here most of the time, but I'm not always in the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, why am I doing this should be something that you review often. Yeah. And then what am I actually doing? So what, what is the program? So all of those things, like even if you just wrote that down, we have specific stuff that we can deliver on. Yeah, I think creating your vision 
starting off again, like, what is it? Your why, your why is more important than the what. So like, why am I doing this? That should definitely be step one, identifying why you're doing it and then what you're looking to accomplish and then break down the rest of those variables. But the why is so important. It's gotta be, it's gotta be more than just like, I want to lose 10 pounds for the sake of losing 10 pounds. That doesn't get people very far in my opinion, but something that gets people far is like, I want to set a positive example for my children so that they don't experience these heartaches that I've experienced, or they don't experience these insecurities that I've experienced. I would like my children to be stronger and more equipped to tackle this world when it tries to knock them down, because it will. Well, and those come back to four main things. It's like, okay, well, should I set process or um, endpoints? Process goals or results goals? What should I do, Mm -hmm. right? And then the other side of it is, am I intrinsically or extrinsically motivated? And if you're doing this well, you're going to find both. But research will tell us that process-oriented goals are much more successful, not endpoint goals. Yeah, so that would be, I'm going to exercise twice this week, not I'm going to lose two pounds this week. Right. Exercising twice is very much inside your, it's inside your wheelhouse that you can execute that, whereas losing two pounds is very based off of how the nutrition went, how the workouts went, how stress went, how sleep went, how your hydration cycle, went. Like uh, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, like your feminine cycle, all yeah. that stuff. So mm-hmm. process versus results. Yeah. So when we look at that, it's process versus results. And then when you start looking at your why, you want that to be nice and clean. So you can say, well, listen, there are extrinsic portions to this. I want to show my kids, for example. But the intrinsic portion of this is I want to know I'm a good parent. I want to show that I'm a good role model because that's who I am and I want, I want them to see it. So there's that kind of, this is for me, but it's also for them. So the intrinsic motivation thing is well-researched to be something that people do better with um, when you have goals be more intrinsically based, not that they're without the extrinsic portion. And then the other side of it is, if I have process goals locked in, this is kind of like the internal work to making sure that we can deliver. Yeah, and that's one way to put it, like how you put it, you know, like kids, family, and things like that. On another side, like if any audience, because I think people who are going to consume this content, um, speaking in my own example, like a very low self-esteem very low confidence for a really long time in my life. The whole reason I exercised was all external. I just wanted external validation from everybody else. I wanted people to look at me, think that I'm strong, think that I had my shit together, think that I was disciplined, muscles, like all that jazz. And internally, I didn't really care about my own opinion as much as I cared about others. So internal goals is like those intrinsic is like doing it for yourself before you do it for other people because other people's opinion on you is going to waver. Some people are going to look at Curtis and think he looks gross, even yes. with all his muscle. <laughs> well, you absolutely. Know what, you know what's interesting though? Like everybody has their own opinion, so it's only your perceived um, thoughts on what on what they think is mm-hmm. good. So it's a, it's hard off the hop. But then outside of that, you you just said a bunch of really interesting stuff. You being like, gross? Yeah, the gross part was the most <laughs> interesting for me. Um, <laughs> but when you started talking about okay, my self-esteem was this and I just wanted people to see me as this and blah, 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 blah. You got most of that. Like, it I never you felt didn't do, like it though. It, oh, totally. So totally. for me, like my stories, when I was working out in the gym, I got to a point where I was just stupid shredded. If you look at my Instagram, scroll all the way to the bottom, you could see every striation on me and I felt like I weighed like 140 pounds. Guys would come up to me and say, whoa, man, how much do you weigh? 
And I'm like, well, how much do you think? They're like, like 200. And I'd like spit out my BCAAs and be like, <laughs> yeah. I'd spit them out and be like, man, you're tripping. But when you're like more cut, you look larger. But I felt like I was the smallest guy in the gym and I was working out like a dog, just murdering myself, trying to feel better so that the big guys would say that I looked big. But even if they told me I looked big, I still didn't care because when I looked in the mirror, it didn't feel that way. Yeah. Extrinsic validation is hard because even, even when you get it, it feels a little bit empty. And I've had clients like this that I just, I just want a six pack and then they get the six pack and the way that they feel is, is still a challenge. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Caleb this week, and he wants to go and get his uh, psychology and counseling designation. And I asked him why he said, well, as I coach people, I, I notice that like oftentimes they have some other stuff to work through and I, I can refer, but I'd like to be able to help them. And I said, you know what that tells me? He's like, what? And I'm like, well, you're paying attention. Because if you don't see that, you're not talking to your clients. Like, we all have stuff that we're working on. And there, there is a lot of things that, that we need to talk about when it comes to self-image and self-efficacy and all of this sort of stuff. But when you actually truly talk to a client, you'll find out that this is a wrestling match that's very human, very normal. And, and we've, all, we've all been there. And it ends up being a game where it's like, okay, so how... How do I make this process truly healthy? Mm-hmm. Which sounds really fluffy, but that is that is one of the games here. If you're still with us, this is definitely turning into a four-part series. Yeah, okay. Moving on to step two of yeah. self-efficacy. Yeah, so the first one is setting specific tasks. And then you want to have like specific steps that you need to get that task done. Kurt's like, we're going to bang this out in 10 minutes. You, boom, we're going to get it done. <laughs> done. Uh, but providing specific um, instructions on each one of those tasks, some of them can be a little bit complex. For instance, if somebody's trying to get their diet and exercise together, it's like, well, I'm going to have to have some pretty specific stuff. Like, oh, meal prep on Sunday. That's a pretty low truth. Like, specific task. That is a specific task. But you need specific instructions on that task. Well, I need five dinners. I need five lunches. I'm going to have breakfast at home. Okay, I probably won't eat the same meal three times in a row. So I'm going to need three different variations. And I want to have this much protein, this much carbs. So I'm going to have to go with like potatoes and rice. Like it ends up getting really, really detailed in some ways. So you want to make sure that when you identify these specific tasks that you need to get done, that you have specific instructions for things that are a little bit more complex. So instead of having to think about it, you can just look at it and be like, okay, done. Mm. I can get that did. Yeah. Right. And even as simple as like, for me, I don't really go get groceries very much anymore unless it's the last minute and we're out of something. We order groceries. I'm going to walk around the grocery store. They deliver them to us. Baller. <laughs> Baller alert. Yeah. It's, it's almost free. <laughs> <laughs> but it saves us a lot of time. Right. And so for me, that makes it a lot easier. I can have a little bit more time to plan out with Sarah what we're going to do for the week. And then we literally, the groceries show up at the house, we put them in the fridge. That would be an example of like specifics on how am I going to get the damn groceries. Yeah. Right? So that one, that one's pretty straightforward based off what we've already talked about with specific tasks. Um, then we start talking about practicing for mastery. Now, this is something that's like, it's, it's a really interesting thing when it comes to self-efficacy. Like when you're, when you're doing your tasks, it's not just about getting the task done. It's actually getting better at the task itself. Mm. So like, again, with the process goals, if you're focused on the outcome instead of the process, it is going to be really hard to engage the same. And usually the people that get the best results are the people that love the process. Mm -hmm. 
So when we start talking about practicing for mastery, you want to do each one of these things to shave it off and make it as locked in as you can. So let's say, you know, the specific task that I've laid out is, well, I'm going to exercise twice a week. Perfect. But in my workouts, I'm going to practice for mastery. This is something that I really struggled with when I was no longer able to compete in Olympic weightlifting the way I wanted to. I really struggled with how the heck am I going to exercise? These lifts have been my ride or die for like eight years. Yeah. And I'd walk around the gym a little bit lost because I had so many things in my head of what to do, but I didn't have my direction yet. Um, so when you start getting this practice for mastery thing, I, what I ended up identifying is regardless of what I'm going to do, I can't just do the workout. I have to do the workout to do the best I can at the workout because that's what Olympic lifting was for me. Every repetition, I was striving for that mastery. So you need a better rep every time. Yeah. yeah. So I started refocusing the way that I was lifting on, okay, how can I make this repetition the best? How can I make sure this set feels the way that it's supposed to feel? And I would, I would start breaking it down and nerding out on it as I do. And it would be like, well, I'm doing sets of eight. So I know what stimulus I'm using. I know by the end of this first set, it should probably only be this RPE. By the end of the last set, I'm shooting for this RPE. How would somebody who doesn't love their exercise wrap their head around practicing for mastery so practicing for mastery doesn't have to be the nerdy side of things Nerd. it can it can literally be like okay well i'm supposed to do three sets of push-ups three sets of 10 push-ups nothing crazy right well maybe that's hard for somebody maybe they're really raised up like their hands are up on a bench maybe they're on their knees who knows what they are but they're gonna be like listen no matter i'm not gonna worry about what rep range or what um what variable I'm on right now, what type of push-up. I'm going to worry about doing the best locked-in 10 push-ups that I can do until I can get all three sets of 10 without stopping, and then I'll move down. Yeah, and this kind of brings another topic into my head, tangents, if you will, but I think it has some something to say. When I talk to clients like, okay, uh, how's your chin-up game? Oh, I hate chin-ups. That person normally can't do three sets of 10 chin-ups. If I say, how's your push-up game? Oh, I hate push-ups. They normally can't do 10 push-ups. But I'm like, how do you feel like, do you think you would like push-ups more if you could just bang out 50 of them and they were like cake? Or if your chin-ups were just cake? Like I, the other day, the other day I did three sets of 20 chin-ups and it was more cardio than it was like muscular fatigue. I was just kind of like, oh, that was a lot of reps. Um, so that being said, look, or skipping, I've talked to people about like, oh, well, we're going to bust out a skipping rope. We're going to do some skipping today. Oh, I hate skipping. Well, normally they're bad at it. But if you practice for mastery and you just go with the process and try to improve the process, once you get good at something, you normally don't hate it anymore. Well, and, and that brings up the fourth part of this whole thing, which is positive um, view of what you're doing or positive communication. Like as a trainer, you would want to communicate positively to enforce, reinforce things. As a person who's engaging on this, you need to communicate positively with yourself. So not, oh, I hate working out. It's like, oh, I'm going to get this workout done. That's the hardest for people, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, well, I know it's hard. I'm like, people think that because it's simple that it's easy. That's, that's not true. It's like, do these three sets of push-ups to get your chest blown up. It's like, listen, if you execute them like that, that might work. Maybe. But it's not just stumble through the push-ups and you'll get there. It's like, listen, man, each and every push-up I did was not as good as that one. So I'm going to just focus on getting that push-up locked in. So that I can feel what it's supposed to do, right? My heart, my shoulders don't hurt. I'm not wiggling my core around anymore, whatever the case may be. But like practicing for mastery and positive outlook go together. 
And if you want good self-efficacy, you have to have a positive view on what you're doing. Because if you don't have that positive view, it's very hard to engage with it. Absolutely. To your point, oh, I hate those. It's like, <laughs> then why are you doing them? Like it's, that's, that's a hard dissonance to cover in your brain. So, But how do people, we must have had an episode already on how to improve a positive outlook. Yeah, we actually talked some trash for a long time. We would and I that. said, listen, if you hate it, then hate it with all your heart. You get after it hard like you hate it for real because that's some serious emotions. Mm-hmm. I hate push-ups? Cool, show me how much. Like, use that. And, you know, coming to the end of that whole conversation on self-efficacy, it, it naturally leads into positive outcome expectations. Like, we're all ready on positive communication, positive hey, thoughts. you're going into episode two, Curtis. Yeah, I think we can get it all. No, bro, we're almost done. Let me look. 25 minutes, Curtis, end the episode. This is five minutes. We got it. It's no, okay. You Go ahead. So? Wow, it's going to be more than that if we're We'll arguing. do a 10-minute episode next time. Okay. So positive outcome expectations. Just arguing right You've on set. you talked about this. You, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know what really burns my biscuit about you, Eric? <laughs> let's air the laundry. <laughs> All right, let's get it. Positive outcome. Um, positive outcome expectations. This is... There's some really interesting research on people. Uh, you want to talk about this one? You're listening to a podcast. Tell me all about it. Which one? About the lactose. Oh, yeah. So I was listening to Andrew Huberman's podcast. He is a neuroscientist in Stanford University. He's a big dog. I listened to a lot of his episodes. I listened to an episode for three hours just on stretching. But anyways, he was talking about positive outcome and expectations with people being... He gave a bunch of, this is very summarized information, but he essentially had a bunch of people who were lactose intolerant and he gave them a milkshake and told them that it's just like loaded of calories and lactose. And the study, I think, was talking about ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, and like lactose. So he gave them it and he's like, this, this shake's got a lot of like a lot of calories, a lot of lactose and all this crap. And uh, there was no lactose in the shake, but all the lactose intolerant people, a lot of them continued to have their their symptoms of like diarrhea and stuff immediately after because they expected their body to not want to digest that properly. So they had these terrible symptoms. And then afterwards he told them like there was actually no lactose in that. Uh, yeah. And so, then same thing with the ghrelin. He gave another piece, the, the same shake saying like this, this, this shakes very low in calories, expect to be hungry after, you know, there's not a lot of like, not a lot of like juice to it. And those people were like, Oh my God, I'm so hungry. But it was like a big whopping shake full of just calories. Yeah, well, and this kind of brings, brings the conversation to this inevitable part where behavior and psychology is super important. A lot of buying decisions that people make are based on emotion, which is what we're discussing here. Like, you want to know why you see so much hype online? Because people buy based off of emotion. So in some ways, those are the smartest people. They're providing hype to get somebody to make a decision in some ways, right? So when we start talking about the whole expecting positive outcomes, the way that you look at your exercise is important and also the expectation you have of what it's getting you. Like when you're running this negative feedback loop in your brain where it's like, okay, well, I tried working out and then it doesn't work and whatever, whatever. Um, so it doesn't matter. Like no matter what I do, I just can't lose weight. That is not true. It's not physically true. For 99.9% of the population, that is not true. Learned helplessness. Like you change your diet and you change your exercise, your body will change. I've seen it over and over again with all sorts of different populations. But one thing that is a Achilles heel that I see with people all the time is consistency. I'll have somebody say, I'm not getting the results I want. And I'm like, okay, in the last five weeks, 
what's your percentage adherence? And like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, well, go look on the app. It'll show you. Oh, 30%. Okay. So you can expect 30% of the positive results. How's your diet been? Well, like as soon as you realize that there's a lot more opportunity to go the place you want to go, then you'll start seeing people engage. And when people engage and get consistent, you see crazy stuff. My client Faison today sent me a video of him stepping up on the side of a boat and diving into the water saying, can you believe that seven months ago this guy couldn't walk? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, he had bulged discs. Faison, you were stuck in bed. Now here he is in board shorts, crawling up to the top of the boat and diving off. Like consistency is the biggest thing that we can talk about. We can have a whole episode on consistency because there's a lot of stuff to it. But it's really easy when we talk about positive outcome expectations. It's like simplify the information, look up some reliable stuff and be like, oh, well, my thoughts are probably not leading me the right direction. Um, Don't, you can also, instead of just focusing on, you know, this is what I'm going to get, you can start doing anticipated regret and anticipated regret is literally saying, okay, by not doing this, are you going to regret it? And what are you going to regret? It's this thing where in life people tend to regret the things they didn't do, not the stuff they did. Yeah. Which is crazy because I've done some stupid stuff that I actually didn't regret that much. Well, that doesn't that go hand in hand with people who do more to avoid pain than gain pleasure? Absolutely. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the, the behavioral stuff that I wanted to get across is you need to know that online there's a reason that everybody's trying to provide this really simplified, really hype game. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because that's what makes people buy things. And you can't help people if they don't buy anything. And a lot of them have really good um, intentions. Let's call it that. And then outside of that, these same concepts in psychology that could be something that you get frustrated by are things that you can actually give voice to and work through. Um, Today we presented seven things and those seven things that are based on two basic topics are just straight out of a psychology book. Like stuff that I did in first year university. But when you look at it, it, it is so consistent and almost so simple to look at that you're like, it can't be that simple. But the hard work is actually stopping looking at it and figuring out how it applies to you. Well, what's that quote? Like a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step or something like that. The first step's always the hardest in anything. Yeah. Well, and and any change is going to be harder than staying the same. Your body seeks homeostasis. Mm -hmm. So making the change is hard. I get it. Even if it's not complex, it's hard, but we need to manage um, the, what we need to walk through as well as we can to be successful. I like it. Change your behavior. Change your life. Boom. Love it. (laughs) Thanks for watching, guys. If you have anything to add, leave a comment below on YouTube. Uh, Share this with a friend if you found it valuable. And we'll catch you on part two. Stay classy. San Diego. Thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate your support. If you enjoy this episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe, follow, and throw us a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts.